Recently, Simon Lazat posted on his Instagram story with some very interesting thoughts, and basically it all revolved around how the Disc Golf Pro Tour, how the PVGA could improve professional disc golf, specifically focusing on the courses and the course design. Now, I like Simon, and I think he has a lot of good things that he brings to the game of disc golf, not just playing, but ideas. But I gotta say, some of these ideas, I'm not too crazy about. So let's go ahead and let's break it down. Let's talk about what he said, my opinions about them, and what I think the Disc Golf Pro Tour and the PD and the PD and the PDGA. Ooh, it's gonna be a long episode. <laughs> and the PDGA can do to make disc golf better for the professionals and better for the sport in general. Hey everybody, what is up? It's Antonio. Welcome to episode 13 of Teach Play Disc Golf, a Gladiator Disc Golf podcast. I'm so excited to have you here with me today. We have, I have an awesome show to go through with you. Um, I'm really excited for today's show because we're talking about things that we haven't really talked about before. And I think it's just going to be a really fun episode and I want to hear your thoughts. So before I even go ahead and get into everything, I just want to say, please share your thoughts in the comments. And with that, if you've been watching or you've been listening for a while now, please leave a review and share this episode, rate the show. It would just help me so much and it'd help other disc golfers find this show. So let's go ahead and let's go through the outline. So we're gonna talk about Simon. Uh, we're gonna spend a, a good bit of time talking about Simon, some of his opinions. I'm going to be sharing my thoughts on that and what I think the Pro Tour can do. Then we're going to quickly touch on Ricky Waisaki. He was back this weekend, so that was awesome. We're going to recap the Beaver State Fling. I've changed the order up of the show a little bit. Over time, I've noticed that, hey, some of it feels a little... Um, uh, feels a little uh, slop, not sloppy, but it feels a little like we talk about players and then we don't get to the tournament recap and preview to the very end. So we're mixing that up a little bit today. We're going to uh, talk about current events, go right into Beaver State Fling. We'll discuss the upcoming uh, tournament, the Discrafts Cascade Challenge in Shelton, Washington. We'll go over a disc golf skill that I'm still working on and I think every disc golfer is constantly working on. So I'm super excited to share that with you. And we don't have a disc review for today's episode, not because I don't have discs to review. OTB sent me some discs and I am so excited to review them, but I've really never thrown any of these discs and some of them are pretty pretty cool and so i need to take some time and throw them a good bit so that i can give you guys a good review uh super excited to do that hopefully next week i'll be able to review one of the discs so i'm excited to do that and that is our episode so let's go ahead and let's go and uh, start with simon's suggestions simon says Alrighty, a couple days ago, Simon posted on his Instagram. I took screenshots of it because I said, I need to talk about this on the podcast. And this week has been so busy. I am recording later than normal. Uh, so I apologize for that. But here's Simon posts on a story, uh, two slides, sort of speak, two posts. And he says, disc golf needs more Mandos. I used to hate Mandos and thought it was poor course design. But the reality is that we don't have a real disc golf course that was built for disc golf, uh, built just for disc golf yet. Until then, 
we need more mandos and get rid of all drop zones if you miss the mando play it where it lies with the stroke penalty also all ob should be hazard equals better game think about it and then the next one about 15 minutes post uh, after that 18 minutes after that also we need areas that don't give you a stroke penalty but make your next shot more difficult like forehand only no run up or roller only more skills will actually be beneficial Whew. i thought some of that was good and i think some of that is definitely something the pga disc golf pro tour can consider and some of it not so much now to be fair Simon is a fan favorite. I watch pretty much every one of Simon's videos when he publishes them. Not always like within 24 hours of him publishing them, but I pretty much watch every video he posts as probably do you as well. Uh, really likable guy. He has shared his thoughts about courses a lot over the last few years, which I think is great for, for pros to do that. Like they are the ones playing. They can give the best feedback. But some of this stuff here, I'm like, that would not be a good idea. If if anything, it almost turned disc golf into a mockery. Um, and we don't want that to happen. So here's what I think the Disc Golf Pro Tour should do. They should pick courses regardless of spectators, use Mandos. Um, I'm going to refute Simon's point about not having real disc golf courses yet. I'll get to that. And then they should use OB as a hazard. And that makes sense for artificial OB. So let's go ahead and let's dive into those four things. So the first one was picking good courses regardless of spectators. Simon didn't really touch on this too much, but this is something that is constantly in conversation. And I just want to give my opinion. I've thought about this a lot. And I think if you want to put the best product out there, if you want the pros to be challenged, if you want them to rise to the level of the competition, also rise to the challenge of the course, you need to pick the best courses for the pros, regardless of spectators. You cannot be picking these courses and trying to be like, oh, but we're only going to be able to have 2000 spectators, but this one we can have 5000 spectators because that leads you down a path where you're only then choosing courses based on money, based on people who can come in. And although money is important, although money is what's going to keep this sport continuing to grow, if you choose courses that are fun and challenging to play and are fun to watch, you will increase your disc golf network subscriptions you will increase the number of people who are going to watch your sport uh, yes we obviously want uh, golfers to come to the tournaments and observe them but the vast majority of people that watch a football game are not at the game the vast majority of disc golfers that watch disc golfers that watch disc golf are not at the tournament so it doesn't make sense to always cater the courses to to spectators now they don't they're not always only picking courses for spectators i'm not saying that is the only um requirement for the courses but you know this weekend this past weekend we had beaver state fling i can't tell you how many people kept questioning why is beaver state fling a silver series 
This is not the first time they've played this. The course is beautiful. It is challenging. It is fair. And there's room for spectators. Why is it a silver series? I don't know. Maybe because it's been on tour for so long, they wanted something new and fresh. Um, I haven't seen any answer like that, but that's a possibility. And while that's valid to an extent, it's like you, you can't just demote one of the better courses because you don't want to play it anymore as a as a association so i definitely think they need to pick good courses regardless of the spectators because you're always going to be able to have spectators you may have to change the amount of spectators you have but they will always be there and so it's you you definitely need to do that the next thing is using manners to make disc golf holes harder now simon had this as like a condition add mandos until you have uh, more disc golf courses made just for disc golf. I don't think it should just be a condition. I agree with the principle or with the with the truth, the fact that Mandos make disc golf holes harder. Now, in most cases, tournament directors are using Mandos mandatories um, to for safety reasons. You should always use a mandatory for safety reasons. Like you don't want fairways crossing. If there's a path or something or a road, you know, whatever it may be, keeping players and pedestrians and drivers safe, all for safety with mandatories. But the mandatory can also be used to make a hole more challenging. Now, the one thing to this entire point is that mandatories are a slippery slope if you start being unruly with them, so to speak. Like you cannot just slap a mandatory onto every hole to make it harder, quote unquote, if it's not actually doing anything but just making the hole annoying or it's making an already tough shot nearly impossible. Like WR Jackson, where we just had the Champions Cup, there's no reason for there to be a bunch of mandatories. That course is already tough enough. But you could, you know, argue like, hey, Beaver State Fling, DDO, a couple of these other ones, you know, just naming courses that are coming up and that we've recently seen, like maybe a couple mandatories here or there, forcing players to take certain angles. And there's a, f a few reasons for that. One, majority of courses are right-handed, right-hand player friendly. So it could help some lefty players forcing uh, righty players to throw different lines Two, you're forcing players to throw specific lines or different lines and you're challenging them and it's going to make all the players have a full arsenal of skills you should not have a player scoring at the top of the leaderboard if they only have a backhand or if they only have a forehand you need to have the entire package you need to have the full toolbox and mandatories can really challenge the players in that way and following up the mandos simon's used the mandos as a condition for not having any real disc golf courses yet and that, that i just couldn't disagree more the players are playing several courses at this point that are designed for disc golf is every course designed for disc golf no so i'm not entirely sure if that's kind of just like trolling or something, you know, I was saying earlier, Simon's a fan favorite, but sometimes I feel like he likes to just kind of get a reaction out of some people with some takes. Um, Maple Hill disc golf specifically for disc golf. You can't even do anything else on that property except buy a Christmas tree in the winter. Okay. So you have that. 
Then you also have the preserve in Minnesota on the uh, Kale Visca and Prodigy and, and all that have it there. Yes, it was a ball golf course, but they completely revamped it to be only for disc golf. Uh, Beaver State Fling has been a disc golf course for a while. Um, I Well, actually, come to think of it, I think a lot of those baskets might be temporary. But there are other courses out there like uh, The Beast in Waco. You have, uh, man, now I'm drawing a blank. But you have courses out there that are specifically designed for disc golf. So I'm not entirely certain what he's talking about with that. Um I could totally agree that some courses are just artificial courses, basically. They're manufactured for disc golf. And I can see how that might be annoying because it's like, I mean, this works, but it doesn't play all that well. But I'm like, there are a lot of disc golf courses out there. Northwood Black um, is another one, you know, where these players are playing them. So I'm not really sure. Um, W.R. Jackson, you know, the whole IDGC. Uh, so I don't really understand that. Now, that being said, uh, I, I agree. Obviously, we would want every course on tour to be a real disc golf course made specifically for disc golf. But that doesn't that shouldn't be like the 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 condition for that shouldn't just be, oh, you have to have manners with it. Like there is more to it. And I think you even have some really good courses out there that maybe are temporary courses or not always open to the public, uh, whether it's free or pay to play that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, if I sound a little confused, it's because I'm a little confused by this because um, I'm just like we have real disc golf courses on the pro tour. So I'll just leave it at that. Now, one thing that I think he did make a great point about was with OB. And I specific, and if you're like me, you're thinking specifically of, you know, uh, the USDGC, some world championships where you see a lot of artificial OB and then they have to go and like play it back. And I agree that OB, unless it's water, a parking lot, um, anything that might be really unsafe that I just can't think of off the top of my head right now, like, yeah, just play it as a hazard. Like, I think about USDGC, I think it's hole 13 or hole 15. Maybe it's earlier than that. But basically, it's that really big, long hole, that huge open fairway. And the last few years, they had OB kind of like weaving in and out, making some of these really weird shapes where a throw that would have been safe in years past is now all of a sudden OB and um, just really hard to follow. I think if anything, it's like, you can throw as hard as you want on that hole, get as far down the fairway. But if you're OB or in the hazard in this case, you're going to take a stroke, but you get to play from that. And I think this does one of two things. Players can play really high risk, high reward shots. But also it then forces the course designers to pick better layouts, to make better holes. And for the tour in general, and for the tour in general to just consider retiring some courses if you have to come up with gimmicky ways to make a a disc golf course more difficult then maybe you need to stop playing it just a thought so i think ob as a hazard makes sense obviously you don't want people 
standing in water to throw it. Uh, you need to be able to retrieve it, so to speak, if it's in a hazard. Think about all the sand traps that we see more and more on disc golf, uh, uh, disc golf tournaments, especially for the pros. Sand traps is a perfect hazard. You land in there, you play from there, but you take a stroke. We should definitely see more of that. I think it's a really good aspect. Just keep water OB, keep the obvious other things OB. Even if someone crosses like a concrete path and lands in another uh, fairway maybe, unless it's like an active fairway, but like another side of grass, unless it's a fairway, like they take a stroke, but they play from where it landed. It's going to change some things. It'd be really interesting to see how, how the scores are affected but I think it's going to challenge both sides, meaning players and course designers and tournament directors a lot more to just be like, okay, where's the risk and reward here? So that I thought was a really interesting thing. The, uh, now let's go to some of the things that I just, he, that Simon mentioned that the Pro Tour should not do. Implement unnecessary OB, get rid of drop zones, force players to throw only a specific shot. Those three things, now, the, the first one, it kind of relates more to the point that I was making, but the other two are things that Simon talked about that I completely disagree with. So let's start with implementing unnecessary OB. Uh, this kind of ties in with what I was just saying, making OB a hazard. So if you're going to implement artificial OB, what you can almost argue is unnecessary OB, if you're going to implement that, that's fine. Make it a hazard. It doesn't... It doesn't make sense that you can just artificially make a hole tougher without any real reason for doing that. Like, yes, we want tougher holes, but let's let's be logical about it. Let's actually think about why are we putting this here? And if you are going to put it there, regardless of whether or not it needs to be there, Play it as a hazard. It's kind of crazy to me that we have OB lines where there, we have an OB line separating short grass from tall grass. Like, okay, if you want to have that, you want to reward the better shot staying on the fairway, don't make the player have to back up potentially from where they were last inbound. Just have them play from there. Have them play from where it landed. Because if anything, they're already going to be taking the stroke as the hazard. And on some of these holes, on some of these layouts, it's going to be really punishing having to throw from the rough, from the hazard. And so if anything, it's going to doubly punish players um, and really make them try to stay inbounds, so to speak, if the hazard is tough enough. But giving them the out in this sense, like to, to throw from back inbounds, so to speak, or from a drop zone, um, just either you don't put unnecessary OB and you just leave the fairway open or you have them play from the hazard. I think that is a great way to marry it, but just making unnecessary OB like we see on some courses, it's weirdly tough. It's hard to watch. Sometimes you see a good throw and because there's a random line in the grass that says it's out of bounds, that's the only reason it's out of bounds. doesn't make a lot of sense. Not fun to watch. Simon said to get rid of drop zones. And I think that's a bad idea because drop zones are typically affiliated with mandos, mandatories. But they're also there for uh, some riskier layouts and for island holes. And so if you get rid of drop zones, 
for like an island hole. That means you just have to constantly re-tee. And we see that with hole 17 at the USDGC. That's a really unique hole. There aren't any, there aren't many, if any, holes on tour that have that same sort of punishment where the drop zone is also the tee pad. Um, and I think that's good because you that is something that become can become really annoying and really gimmicky. But at the USDGC, it's high stakes. It's the second to final hole. You can literally be in the lead, mess up on that hole, and not even make the podium. So I really liked the sort of high stakes feel at USDGC. But if multiple tournaments a year had something like that, it could be really annoying after a while. So, but that, so I say all that because it's like, you need to have drop zones. Not every drop zone should, ju should just be back on the tee pad. Uh, some really long holes need drop zones for safety reasons and with mandatories. Like playing from where a hole when uh, a disc missed the mandatory it's with the new mandatory rules and even with the old mandatory rule, like you can go super far past a mandatory and miss it. So that means Simon's basically saying you play from where it landed. So you, in essence, have to throw backwards to get back around the mandatory. That just seems like wild and unnecessarily complicated. And it's going to slow things down depending on the course and how many players miss a mandatory. And then you're then having players, if they have to throw backwards, meaning back towards the tee pad to get around the mandatory, well, there are spectators behind the card watching. And so you just have now literally pros throwing at the spectators, whereas before they've just always been like alongside out of bounds and not necessarily at spectators. So I just think like that's not a very good idea whatsoever. And that's one reason why you can't just get rid of drop zones. You have to keep drop zones, not just for for uh, you know penalty strokes and everything, but for safety and speed of play. It just makes sense. The last idea, and this was one where I was pretty shocked that he actually thought this. Simon basically said, to force players to only throw a specific shot. So like instead of a, um, you know, maybe maybe instead of a penalty stroke, he's, he's saying like, okay, if you go here, you don't get a penalty stroke, but you can only throw a roller or you can only throw a backhand or a tomahawk or whatever it is. And, and that's just a really bad idea. <laughs> like there's no other way around it. That, that is just a bad idea. Uh, because it's gimmicky and that that doesn't make players better now i think it could be really fun and i definitely think that that is an idea that would be interesting to watch uh, at the disc golf pro tour all-star weekend that they normally have in arizona i think that would be cool to see like hey we're gonna play this 18 hole layout and Every hole you have to throw it a different way or every hole has some kind of challenge where you can throw whatever you want off the tee. But if you go to the left of this tree, you have to throw a forehand after that. If you go right of the tree, you have to throw a skip shot or you know a tomahawk or whatever it is. Like I think that would be really interesting because this is the Pro Tour All-Stars and you wanna challenge them. It's also fun for entertainment. 
But to actually have that in a rated round where people's livelihood, where people's livelihood is on the line. I mean, listen, Simon's making a lot of money outside of his tournament finishes. So it, it makes sense why he might, I mean, this is going to sound kind of cruel, but it's like, you're making a lot of money, Simon. You and maybe 10 other players are making a lot of money where your tournament winnings aren't keeping you and your family you know, fed for the next week. But the vast majority of players are not making that kind of money. And so to then implement something as gimmicky as this, it's like, wait, so now my livelihood is also based on this gimmicky layout where I have to only throw one specific shot instead of throwing what's maybe the best shot for this specific uh, position or the condition I'm in. Like that, that's just a no-go. That I hope that never sees the actual pro tour. All-star weekend is one thing, but I hope that never actually makes its way onto the pro tour. Now, one thing that I have gone back on, and I really wanna hear your opinion on this, so make sure you comment down below share your thoughts message me on instagram at gladiator disc golf restricting the number of discs a player can carry now i don't think that disc golf should follow right in line with regular ball golf but in ball golf so and what i say is like ball golf you can only have 14 clubs and so for us that's like in disc golf technically the club and the disc are, are the club and the ball are the same thing with a disc but that would be like saying, okay, we can only have 14 discs or 15 discs or 20 discs, whatever, so on and so forth, 10 discs, however we would actually line it all up. I'm not sold on this for a couple reasons. Um, first off, a golf bag, like with 14 clubs, is huge and heavy and hard to carry, and they put them on carts and that kind of thing. Disc golf doesn't have that. A disc is a lot smaller and easier to carry. But I do like the idea of forcing the best players in the world to narrow down their bag. But at the same time, it's like you don't have to carry a big bag. A pro could show up and do a three-disc challenge if they really wanted to. They wouldn't, but they could. There's no, as far as I know, no uh, limitation or, min or minimal amount of discs that a pro needs to carry as long as they are carrying them. Like you can't have one bag for the player and then your caddy's carrying a second bag. Like and it's one bag or one cart. So like I, I go back and forth and I'm not really sold. I could definitely be persuaded from either side about this, but I wanna know what you guys think. Should there be a limitation on the number of discs that a player can carry? I think there are good arguments on both sides, but I definitely think right now the safest play is to just say no. A player should have the option to choose what they wanna carry when they wanna carry it. I think it's a really fun way to watch different, uh, to watch every player build a bag that suits their game. But I also think it would provide a fair but unique challenge in disc golf, but we also don't wanna just be like golf as well so i totally understand that but so go ahead share in the comments uh what do you think i'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this and 
Make sure that you leave a review while you're there and give this five-star review. I'd really appreciate that. Share it with your buddies, share it with your friends and family. And as you guys are noticing, I have a Teach Play Disc Golf t-shirt. That is right. If you go to my store, gladiatordiscgolf.myshopify.com, you can pick up a shirt just like this and support your new favorite disc golf podcast. I've really enjoyed this. I really like this shirt. It's so comfortable. Um, and it's really cool design. It's the album cover, so to speak. So you can go ahead. You can wear this out on the course, hanging out with friends and family, talk to them about the podcast, share it that way. So go ahead and head to my website and you can buy it there. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. If you go and do that, I really appreciate it. Now, the next thing that I want to talk about really quick is Ricky Wysocki. Several weeks ago, he announced that he was basically taking a break from tour and he's back. He signed up for Beaver State Fling and somehow Ricky still played so well. Uh, let me see here. Where did he finish? At one point, he was top 10. Ricky finished tied for 11th. The dude hasn't played in over a month on the Pro Tour. And he really probably hasn't played much at all, even practice. And he went tied for 11th, only nine strokes back of the lead, and only six strokes back of second place. He is ridiculously good. Speaking of players who are coming back, I'm so excited. FPO is getting one of their top talents back in Valerie Mandahano. She has been out for a couple months at this point. I think she was dealing with, it was an ankle wrist. I can't remember now. Um, but she was dealing with a physical injury that was preventing her from playing. And I'm super excited to hear that she's coming back. She said her first tournament will be the will be the Dynamic Discs Open DDO. Super excited to see her uh, play there. It's going to be a lot of fun having her back on tour. She is normally one of my favorite grip six picks to make. So I'm excited to see her play there. Now, Beaver State Fling was this past weekend. And I just got to be upfront and honest with you all uh, as we start talking about this that I did not watch a lot of disc golf this past weekend. I had some, we, my wife and I had some friends in town, and they're not big disc golf people. I mean, I literally played with my, he, the guy, the p friends in town, he, the, the husband was my college roommate. And so, you know, we were just hanging out. He never played disc golf before. So I took him and we played and we had a blast, but we did not watch a lot of disc golf. And so I didn't really get to, I didn't watch any live, and I had to really grind through the post produce while I was working. And so, wasn't really the best uh, situation to be watching and paying attention. And FPO, I only watched one full nine. I watched round three front nine. And so I apologize for that. But there are some things that I do want to touch on from what I did see that is really cool. So first off with FPO, um, like I said, I just watched the front nine of the final round, which is just really bad. Um, but Jennifer Allen started off her round the best way you could possibly start. She threw an ace on hole one. I think it was like a 350-foot hole. Basket directly behind a tree. She threw a nice little um, turning shot that faded at the very end. Nice little S-curve right in the heart of the chains. Beautiful shot. I'm sure you've seen it on social media. But if you haven't, you really need to go check it out. It was really pretty to watch. Great way to start the round. 
Uh, that's pretty much all I got for FPO. I like I didn't I just didn't watch any. I didn't have time to watch that and MPO. And on MPO, it was really cool keeping track of my grip six picks and just keeping track of where everyone was placing and just seeing uh, some different names. Not uh, we saw household names all weekend at the top of the leaderboard, but we still saw some different names from what we've seen. Uh, Eagle was back. Eagle played really, really well. Really cool to see him competing. And just he has always played so well at this event. He really always has. Uh, Garrett Gerthy won it last year, I believe. And he played really well. Garrett Gerthy, I believe, won this event last year. And he was on lead card. He struggled the final round. But it was really cool watching him play. Andrew Presnell, who is a really good player. And he always has a few tournaments every year where he pops off, so to speak, where he is in contention for the win. He's not always consistently doing that, but he does that a few times a year. And this was one of those weekends. Calvin was just consistently being him. But one player that most people aren't going to know about is Carter Aarons. Now, I've seen their Instagram account before. It's Aaron Bros Disc Golf. There are two brothers. And Carter Aarons, I think it might have been course record, but I'm not 100% certain. Final round, though, Carter Aarons is going into the round at 10 under. He finishes at 25 under. He shot 15 under on the final day to move into a tie for fifth place. That is just absolutely insane. So really cool, uh, really fun to watch. Definitely check out Aaron Brothers Disc Golf on Instagram. Both of the, bro I mean, Carter, on top of all this, shot a 15 under. He's 15 years old. So the future of disc golf is looking so, 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 so bright. Um, we have a lot of young talent coming up and placing and really competing. And you have this older talent, older, quote unquote, that is really starting to get challenged by some of these younger players. And that's really cool to see. Um, man, 15 years old, shooting 15 under at Beaver State Fling. That is just insane. But that has been, that was really fun to see on social media. And, and I'm hoping that we continue to see Carter Aarons in the future along with his brother. I don't remember his brother's name off the top of my head. But Beaver State Fling, uh, Milo MacGyver, really cool course um it's it's this beautiful blend of open and wooded you have to hit your lines um because it's a really challenging course but what i love about it is that the holes offer so many different ways to attack them it is not only a roller play roller play roller play but it's also not only air shot after air shot you have the opportunity playing there to throw whatever shot you want and get some great benefit and get some great reward from your throw. So I really like that. But one thing that of all, no matter how you throw it, it is very clear that you have to have angle control. You have to control your hyzer flips, your turnovers, your flexes, because there are trees everywhere. You have some pretty wide open shots at times, but if you hyzer too early or you turn over too late, you're going to get punished on this course. 
So I love that it really challenges the golfer to control their angle. Uh, it was really fun to watch MPO and just see so many different ways to attack a hole, but also so many ways, like when you're really on fire, like so many ways to birdie and to do it differently. And I think that's just the mark of a great course. And I agree with people who think that Beaver State Fling should be back on the Elite Series. Totally agree with that. Uh, just really fun course to watch. Now let's go ahead and let's run through the results real quick. We had Eagle McMahon in first place at minus 31. Congrats to Eagle. Second place, we had a tie with Andrew Presnell and Calvin Heinberg at minus 28. Gannon Burr at fourth place at minus 26. Carter Ahrens and Nicholas Antilla in fifth place at minus 25. Nicola Casho, Aaron Gossage, and oh, Nicola Casho and Aaron Gossage tied for seventh at minus 24. Jakob Semerod and Chandler Fry tied for ninth at minus 23. So we had eight strokes separating the top 10, which is really, really cool. And then on the FPO side, Congratulations to Jennifer Allen for coming in first at minus 23, but she was given a run for her money by Holland Hanley, who came in second at minus 21, and those two were just going at it all weekend. Um, Holland Hanley has a really complete game. Jennifer Allen is pretty much backhand only, but Holland has the, both the backhand and the forehand. She was putting well this weekend. Those two went at it, and then third place was 10 strokes behind second place. Maria Oliva at minus 11. Fourth place, Owen Scoggins at minus 10, tied with Rebecca Cox. Sixth place, Missy Gannon, Ali Smith, and Kat Merch at minus 8. And then ninth place was Lisa Fakis and Sarah Hokum at minus 6. So we had, um, well, we had pretty much the full FPO field here, which is really cool to see. Paige Pierce did not play, and um, Kristen Tatar did not play. Kristen, I believe, is actually back in Europe right now. Um, so they did not play, but Katrina Allen played, Owen Scoggins played, Sarah Hokum played, Ella Hansen played. You had a lot of Sayananda played, Jen Allen, Holland. You had a great FPO field. 44 women were out there. Uh, but yeah, so it was just a really, I guess, a really weird weekend, a challenging course for a lot of FPO field, except for two. I mean, literally third place to, let's see, third place got 11th, 11 under, third place to 17th place, which was minus one in 17th place, had the same separation of strokes as Holland Hanley in second place. Uh, and Maria Oliva in third place. There were 10 strokes separating them. That's just crazy to think about. So the top 17 had a 22-stroke spread. Uh, pretty wild to think about, but really fun course. Uh, I'd still want to go watch Beaver State Fling, the FPO coverage. I do intend on watching that, but we also have a really cool tournament coming up. Now, the the schedule looked a little weird. I, saw, I was looking on the... Uh, PGA website is showing the Pro Tour, and it said theoretically we were supposed to have the Portland Open starting today, but I didn't see anything happening about a reschedule unless I missed something. But I have, but I've seen all these players talking about the Cascade Challenge that they're playing in Shelton, Washington. So this is a course that I don't recall ever seeing before. 
I'm really excited for it because courses in the Pacific Northwest are beautiful and I am all for them playing more more tournaments there. I think that is awesome. So I'm excited to see the coverage. I don't know much about the course, but from what I've seen, it's pretty wooded. Uh, it might be even more wooded than Beaver State Fling, Milo MacGyver. Um, so yeah, also, I know I haven't talked about this in a little while, but at the beginning of the episode, I was like, oh, Beaver State Fling, it might have temporary baskets. No, because Milo MacGyver is a permanent course. So sorry, I just had that thought. I was like, ooh, I totally misspoke earlier. So the Cascade Challenge is a really, uh, really cool course from what I've seen online. I've never seen this course of, uh, anywhere else, but I'm really excited for that. They do have... Uh, have the challenge available on UDISC, the grip six picks. So I'm going to go ahead and do that here. I'm definitely taking Eagle McMahon. He's just playing really well. He just won. And he always seems to play these Pacific Northwest Coast uh, courses really well. I'm also going to take Ricky Waisaki. He is playing uh, really well after having been off for several weeks, I think at least a month. And then I am going to take one of my favorite European players, Nicholas, Nicholas Antilla. Uh, he finished fifth at Beaver State Flank. I really can see him performing well here as well. His game is so smooth and consistent, so I really like that. On the FPO side, Holland Hanley showed me a lot this past weekend, and I think she has a, a, a complete enough game to really compete here. I think Ella had a little bit of a of a bad tournament at Beaver State Flame, but I think, I truly believe she can turn it around. So I'll pick uh, Holland Hanley and Ella Hansen. And then, let's see. I do not see Own Scoggins, which means I have to get creative here. Cat Merch played well, but, oh man. You know what? I'm going to go with a dark horse pick here. I'm going to go with Emily Beach. I've picked, I've talked about Emily before on this podcast. And she was on lead card at one point in Blue Ridge Championship. She was on lead card going into the final round at the OTB Open. And I think that she can score well here. She is a lefty, so it'll be really unique. It'll be interesting to see how she performs. But I'm going to go with Hanley, Hansen, and Beach for FPO, McMahon, Waisaki, and Antilla for MPO. I'm going to save that. I have no idea how many strokes under par to make this. So I'm just going to go and with a simple 40, and we'll see how that plays out. I have no idea what to expect, but I am super excited for the Cascade Challenge. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Now let's go ahead and let's talk about the disc golf skill. I have a skill that I want to share with you guys, and I'm really excited about this one. It's going to be a quick little thing, but I think it's going to be super helpful. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, every disc golfer is constantly working on this. Robbie C. Disc Golf has talked about this before, actually a couple years ago at this point. He called it T-pad geometry, I believe is what it was. But basically, how to line up your shot before throwing. You determine your success on the T-pad playing disc golf before the disc ever leaves your hand. It is possible to throw a great shot and have it have an, an, an end in it with a bad result 
That was a horrible sentence. That was totally broken. It is possible to throw a great shot, so to speak, with good form and everything come out real nicely for it to just have a bad result because you misaligned yourself on the tee pad. So lining your shot up before throwing, it's really difficult because the tee pads don't always align with the hole. Sometimes they're off center. Sometimes there's a tree 20 feet off the tee and it's in the way and it's really annoying. And you as the disc golfer have to be aware of these situations so that you can make sure to throw the best shot possible. And it all starts with how you line up. So here's what you need to do. The first thing is you have to ignore what your eyes are telling you. When you're looking at where you're going to throw down the fairway and how the tee pad's lining up, your eyes are going to want to immediately align with the tee pad. And instead of changing the way your body's facing, you're just going to say, oh, I'm going to walk on the tee pad so I get the full tee pad, but I'm just going to release later or release earlier. And basically, you're trying to alter your form in a way that you don't want to do that. So you have to ignore what your eyes are seeing and focus on the fairway itself. Line up to the fairway, not to the tee pad. And this is something I'm working on just like you, so I'm not perfect at this, but these are some of the things that I've done to help with this. So obviously, focusing on the fairway, then I line up my disc. Now, a common mistake that I've made hundreds, actually thousands of times because I've played for that long, is I hold the disc out into the fairway and the disc is directly in front of me. That's no good because I'm not releasing the disc directly in front of me when I throw if I'm also standing in this lane. So we need to, if anything, line up where we want the disc to go and then step off to the side. So now the disc, if I'm aiming right here, I've looked, I've stepped off to the side. I'm now maybe eight inches behind my disc, but as I bring it back along the plane, all of a sudden it's on this flat plane that can throw exactly where I lined it up. So stepping off to the side of where the disc is, keeping it there, but stepping off to the side is a great way to keep the disc online of where you want to release it or where it's going to release from your hand and your body stays out of the way. The disc should not be working around your body. That's how you round, okay? It needs to have its own path, and your body and the disc need to run parallel to each other down the T-pad. And you can only do that if you pay attention to where you're throwing down the fairway and line the disc up with where it needs to go, and you are parallel to that. Uh, So I hope that that makes sense. Now, how do you do that and how do you ensure that that's happening over and over and becoming a good habit that you're forming? It's all with your footwork. The easiest way to do it right is your footwork and the easiest way to mess this up is with your footwork. So it's super important that as you're doing this, you pay attention to where you're stepping on the tee pad. We won't get into all of those details In this episode, we could talk about that in a future episode um, because there's a lot entailed with that. And I just want to keep this nice and concise, but focus on your footwork, pay attention to where you're stepping and how you're stepping 
to see how it's affecting. For example, if you have everything lined up perfectly, the disc is on the line you want it to go and you're parallel to that, then all of a sudden when it comes time to release and you've had your throw and you're on your follow through and you notice that you have stepped over from where you were supposed to be to where the disc is, that means the disc then got pushed forward or you rounded the disc around your body, um, which means you probably didn't throw it well or hit your line. So pay attention to your footwork. That's how that's going to, um, you will miss your target more because of your footwork than anything else. So pay attention to that. And then ultimately, practice, practice, practice. Get out to a field, get a net, practice, work on your footwork, work on aiming, keeping that disc in front of you and parallel down your X step, down the down the T pad. So I hope that that was helpful. I hope you have some tips now to kind of work on this and some things that you can take with you to the practice field and to the disc golf course. If you need help with this, with this, if you need help with this skill, go ahead and send me a video on GiveGo. You can get your first uh, coaching session absolutely free with code Regiro. That's my last name. Uh, go ahead and send me a video on there. I'll coach you. I'll give you some feedback, some annotations on screen, some voiceover. I'll help you and uh, just kind of get you on the right path. Whether you're struggling with your footwork, your backhand, your forehand putting, you need help building a bag or you're just not sure what to carry, go ahead and send me a quick video. And if you don't want to send a video, but just message me on GiveGo for free, you can definitely do that as well. Well, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I don't have a disc review. I hope to have one for you next week. I've recently located a field that is very close to where I live that I will be able to really start testing out some discs. I'm super excited about that because for the last eight months, I've been at a loss as to where I can find a nice field that isn't always crowded and is close by. So I think I found one. I'm going to be testing it out in this upcoming week. So I'm super excited, but I hope to have a disc review for you next week. If you want to pick up a disc, go ahead and head to OTB Discs. They sponsor this section of the podcast. They've sponsored me now for coming up to three years. They are an awesome group of people and they are so kind and they deliver the discs and ship the discs so quickly. Go to otbdiscs.com and use discount code GLADIATORDG for free shipping. You know, with the cost of shipping these days, you can go ahead and basically get an extra disc with the money that you will save using the shipping code. So go ahead and do that. And uh, that is basically all I have for you today, everybody. I hope you enjoyed episode 13, the unlucky number 13. I know I sure did. It was fun talking about some assignments, hot takes and sharing my hot takes with that. Hope you enjoyed it. Remember to go and teach someone how to play disc golf this week. I did that this week. It was a blast. It is so much fun. And it really takes you out of your head and you're just enjoying playing disc golf with someone. And following that, teaching someone, make sure you play some disc golf this weekend as well. Go out there and have some fun. And until next time, everybody, have a great round.